Welcome to another episode of Conversations with Lamp. I'm your host, James Lampkin. And my guest today is the host of the Cognac Room podcast, Mr. Jay Krishna. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me. Man, look, it's good to catch up with you. You a busy man. <laughs> this is very true. Very true. <laughs> hey, man, first of all, let me let me say, um, first of all, congratulations on the podcast. Um, I've listened to I've listened to a few episodes, man, and I've really enjoyed what I've heard. Oh, that's awesome, man. Thank you. What, what made you, what, because, you know, we both know the podcast field is so crowded, but what made you decide, you know what, to hell with it. I'm going to go ahead and jump in it anyway. <laughs> uh, I felt like, I just felt like I was, I had a unique story or a unique perspective. And I felt like, there was room for me because of that. What would you, what would you say your unique story was? Uh, let's see. What is my unique story? I would say that my my unique story was the fact that I was the fuck boy that everybody talks about. I was the guy that you know married three times and you know just screwed it all up so many times over and over again. So I felt like, I don't feel like that was unique in the sense that there's nobody else who's done it or who's doing it, but I felt like it would, it would be unique because of the amount of truth and transparency, excuse me, because of the amount of truth and transparency I would bring to it through podcasting. Man, did you say you was married three times? Yeah. How did you do it? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm a brave soul, my brother. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, did you have any, after the, after the first one didn't work, when the first one didn't work, what was your mentality? I'm not getting married again. I will get married again. What was your mentality? I think it was, I do it again. Because you have to understand because of the nature of our uh, breakup, it was, it was my fault. And so I understood that and I realized that. But even though I had uh, screwed up as badly as I had, I didn't want it to be over. And so um, I fought for my marriage. She just couldn't do it anymore. So I was like, yeah, I want to be mad. I think I'll do it again. Now, when you say you was a fuck boy, is, is you saying that was during the first marriage? Yeah, definitely during the first marriage. Okay. What, what, what allows you to be so honest about it? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like, uh, I think when you grow and you evolve, you, you want to share that with people so that they can, for me, I want to share that with people so that they can understand that it's normal. People, go through things, people do things that aren't great, but when you learn your lesson and you move forward, you went through that for a reason and you're able to help other people. I'm able to now be a relationship coach because of having been that guy. And I'm able to help women and men alike. So. How old were you when you, when you first got married? I was 26 years old. That's a really interesting age. Let me, yeah. let me let me say this. I remember talking to a guy, I'll never forget it. He told me 
the magical age to get married was 27. What would you say to that? It could be. Maybe not for me, because I had gone to prison at the age of 19 and I didn't come home until I was 26. So I was playing catch up, I think, and I still had a lot that I was, I wasn't really ready to be married, but I was put in a position where the woman was kind of like, you know, we're going to get married or, you know, we're going to have to do some things differently. And so I was like, well, I love her. So, okay, let's, let's do it. So let me make sure I'm clear. So you were, you were, you were 19 when you went to prison, got mm-hmm. home at 26 and got married. Looks sound like the same year. Same year I got home. Yep. Oh man. That you, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't think it take no rocket science, but you wasn't ready to be ready. I wasn't ready. And you know what? To be on the safe side of things, I'll say I was 27 when I got married because we were together for like a year. So I'll say 27. I mean, yeah, but you didn't you 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 didn't have time to adjust to just freedom. No. Mm-mm, not at all. Did you even know? I mean, did you, in your mind, I mean, did you know you were, did you feel like, okay, this is too soon? Not exactly, because I did love her and I did, I wanted to be married to her. I just wasn't ready. And so I thought I was ready because, you know, prior to meeting her or during the early, as well as during the early stages of our, uh, courtship. I had, I'd been around, I slept around, I'd been with different women, I dated different women. And so I was like, ah, I think I may have gotten that out of me. I think I'm ready. And it just wasn't true. You know, I didn't realize that, you know, I'd have many more opportunities that I wanted to take advantage of <laughs> later on down the road. Did you talk to anybody before, before you made a decision to get married? Yeah, I spoke with my friends, I spoke with uh, the father-in-law, the guy who would soon become my father-in-law, and I spoke with my mother as well. Yeah. What did they say? Where did, did they think it was a good idea? Or? Everybody thought it was a good idea. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I mean, okay. So let me say this. Of course, now I'm 42, so mm-hmm. I've I've got a lot of life to look back on. So I could I could say, oh yeah, that wasn't going. You know that 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 that's not going to work. But I'm really surprised that one, your mother thought it would work, and I'm even more surprised that her father thought it would work. Yeah, yeah, they they definitely did, and I think it was just they saw the chemistry that we had. And I mean, we had a good marriage. I just wasn't ready. So I did a lot of bullshit. If I hadn't done those things, we would probably most likely still be married today. Mm. I mean, for me, it's just just the time. I mean, it just, it was Mm -hmm. just too soon. Like, because like you said, you just, you're just literally just gotten out of prison. So that's, an adjustment in itself. You have to adjust to learning how to even be mm-hmm. on a, you know, a new way of life because every, you know, you were, you were on a, a schedule while you were incarcerated. So now you come yeah. home 
you on a totally different schedule where you're not answering to nobody. You, you, you basically in charge of yourself, which is something you had to get adjusted to. And I mean, let's be honest, you get, you got, you, you got locked up at 19. So you, you didn't know how to manage a relationship at 19. So you just got out and then just went into something that you wasn't prepared for. Yeah, I definitely wasn't prepared, bro. Definitely. Man, let's 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 back up though, because you you actually mentioned um going to prison. If mm-hmm. if, I'm, if I hope I can ask, why is that asking too much? Nah, not at all, man. Um, conspiracy to distribute crack cocaine. Okay, okay, yeah. I mean, that's unfortunately you're not the first, and you won't be the last. Right. And you were nineteen. Yep, I was nineteen years old. Uh. They indicted me. I want to say they indicted me when I was 18, but I didn't actually get picked up until I was 19 years old. Well, you know, they started the process when I was 18, but they didn't actually pick me up until I was 19 years old. What was that like for you mentally? Oh, wow. I tell you what, man, (laughs) on the paperwork, I saw uh, Jay Christian versus the United States of America. Oh, my God. Uh, Talk about having a big opponent. <laughs> yeah, man. It was uh it was a very daunting thing for me. Uh I think initially I was I was unbothered by it because I thought maybe I'd get out of it until, you know, they kept me and they they kind of showed me the discovery, they showed me the evidence they had against me, and I saw that paperwork. The moment I saw Jay Christian versus the United States of America. I think that is when it hit me like, bruh, this is not going to just go away. Man. At yeah. 19, was you, was, were you scared? I was a little afraid. So when it, before actually, it started off as like a state case and they kind of let it go through it out or whatever, dismissed it. And then the feds came. So initially, I'm thinking, oh, they're going to try to. Okay, they're not going to get me. But then when I actually was in custody and they came and they and I got my paperwork and I saw that on the paperwork, J. Christian versus the United States of America or the United States of America versus J. Christian, I was like, that's when I really, that's when it was real to me. And I realized, man, this is, this ain't gonna just go away, man. These people mean business. That's when I got scared. <laughs> hmm. You said it started off as a state case. Yeah, it started off on some state level, on the state level. Yep. Do you ever think? Do you ever think back, like, man, if 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 it had, if the state had got me, I probably would have got off it with less time. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I do. I think I do think about that. But the thing was, like, they really, I don't know if they actually didn't really have a case or if the feds just came and said, hey, we're taking this, which, you know, I think maybe that's how it went down. Wow. Damn. So, okay, so you go to trial. Well, did you go to trial or you just did a plea? 
No, man, they scared the bejesus out of me. So I didn't go to trial because they have like a 98% conviction rate. Oh, God. So, was... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> I don't mean to laugh. So, no, I definitely yeah, do. Not somebody you want to go to trial with. So, yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's only, I think the only only person that I've known, well, they say Irv, Irv Gotti beat the feds, and I can't think of nobody. Um, I think that guy that Jay-Z used to run, The Haven, I think he beat the feds, but. Okay. And see, that's 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 what's crazy, man. I was uh, I was actually in the feds with one of the guys that Jay-Z talks about in uh, in some of his music, man. I mean, this guy sat down and had conversations. And uh, yeah, man. And I saw, I actually saw when he recently, it's been a few years now, but I saw when he got out or whatever. But yeah, that's, that's funny you should mention that. Mm. So at 19 years old, how did you wrap your mind around the process of doing this time? Mm, I don't think I did. I think I just really was hopeful, very optimistic, did a lot of praying, man. I got saved. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that helped me. That helped me through it. Did you know God before this? I went to church and I was religious, I guess you'd say. Okay. But when I was in, in prison, I developed a personal relationship with God that was very different from anything that I ever thought it would be. Describe it. So I used to hear people talk about how God would talk to them and how God would, the Holy Spirit would lead them and things like that. And I never really, uh, I understood it, but I understood it from a different place. I understood it from where I was witnessing it from the outside. I didn't understand the experience, but I actually experienced some of those things when I was incarcerated. And so it was very different. It's like, it's like somebody telling you about a person and then you actually meeting that person and you realize like, yes, the things they were saying were true but it's better than what I even thought it was like. If that makes any sense at all. No, I make a lot of sense. It make a lot of sense. How old were you? It was probably like 20, 21 at that point. Okay, so you so you were kind of like this was kind of like early into your um into your bit into your sentence. Yes, absolutely. Do you ever sit back and think what what it would have been like if you didn't have God while you were going through that? Mm -mm. Can't imagine making it through that shit without God, bro. Wow. That's amazing. And it was seven, you said it was seven years, right? Yeah, seven and a half years. And then after seven and a half years, I went to uh uh, came home to a halfway house. Yeah. What was the hardest thing about being incarcerated for you? Being away from my daughter, being away from my mom, uh, my family. That was the hardest part. And then also uh, being away from women because I love women. I've always loved women. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Looking back, what would you say, I know this is hard to say, but what would you say is the most you gained besides your relationship with God from prison? Yeah. 
the most that I gained from that experience, I learned who I was as a person. I didn't know who I was when I went in there. I learned who I was and I developed a lot. So I always say that as much as bad of as, as bad of an experience as it was for me, is the best thing that ever could have happened to me. It saved my life and it gave me like new perspectives on everything. So I'm I'm a much better person. I'm a much smarter person. I'm a much uh, more, I'm just a different, like the person I am today, when I look back on who I was then, I don't recognize that person. And it's hard to believe that that was ever me. Mm. Wow. What, who, if you, if you could, I'm going to challenge you to think about this. Who would you say you was back then? Even though you don't like looking at who you was back then, who would you say you was back then? Mm, okay. I was, I'm going to use a phrase that my grandmother used, and I agree, she, she hit it on the head. I was a double-minded, treacherous young man. Good God. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> so comparing that person to then, who, who was you when you got out? Oh, man. When I got out, I was definitely a stand-up guy. You know, somebody that actually could be trusted, somebody that wanted to invoke change, um, somebody that just wanted to experience life and enjoy life to, to the fullest and just, you know, be a good example. Okay. Yeah. Now, we know, unfortunately, a lot of people end up returning to, returning to prison, unfortunately. Did you have any fear that that would happen to you? Nah. I knew I wasn't going back, bro. I was too young and I spent too much time in there and I knew anything that would ever come between me and my freedom had to go, man. I didn't give a damn who or what it was. Did you have a plan when you got out? I did. Um, wasn't a very, wasn't a very in-depth plan, but my plan was to get a job and to work that job and, you know, I actually ended up working two jobs until I got a better job. So my, my plan was just to get back out here, get to work, save money, develop, you know, some, some business plans, which I did, which I had already, well, execute, because I'd already developed the plans in prison, but to execute a couple of business plans, which I did, and uh, they were successful and it worked out. I never had to worry about employment. I never had to worry about a place to live. I never had to go back to the streets for anything. Oh, wow. So you, so, so just so I'm hearing it correctly, you actually started your own business when you got out? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, not right away, but I eventually did start my own business. Okay. What kind of business did you start? I got a wholesale license and I was buying and selling cars wholesale to dealers as well as to the general public. Oh, okay. Okay. And it, and it worked out for you. It did. I was able to. So when you have certain types of charges, you cannot um, hold a dealer's license, but I was able to actually use 
get the the deal, the license in my wife's name and, and form a company and do it that way. Wait a minute, hold on, hold on. When you when you have a record, you can't get a dealer's license? Depending on uh, what your charge was, because my charge involved trafficking cocaine across state lines. At, yeah, that wasn't going, that don't, they don't like that. So <laughs> they weren't going to let me do that. Did you know this before you applied? Yeah, I think I did my research, figured that out and figured out a workaround. Okay. So it didn't, so yeah. it didn't discourage you at all knowing this. No, man. I'm gonna be honest with you, man. I don't let too much stuff discourage me, man. I, I'm one of those guys that I feel like there's a way where there's a will, there's a way. If they don't let me in the front door, I'll come in the back door. If they block off the black back door, I'm coming in the floor or something. I'm coming in though. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna find a way around that shit. Mm. How how long did it take for you to get comfortable being home? And the reason I ask that is because you you probably got in a relationship really quickly when you got home because you got married so quick. So I'm assuming the relationship happened really quick too. So I don't, I can't, maybe this is me, but I don't know if you necessarily got a chance to get comfortable being home. So how long did it take you to actually get comfortable being home? You know, what's crazy. Uh, it was like, I never left, man. You know how they say like a lot of people get institutionalized or, you know, I was nervous on that. Like I got out and I went to the bus station. They dropped me off at the bus station and I, I caught a Greyhound home. But, and so I was encountering new people and this long ride and all this stuff. And so at the beginning of that, like getting out at the train, I mean, at the bus station and walking through the bus station and looking around for like maybe the first 10 minutes, I felt a little off kilter. I felt a little like, oh shit, overwhelmed or whatever. But after that, it was it was like I never left. I just I just I don't know how this happened. I don't know why it happened, but I never I never missed a beat. So once I got to the halfway house and I got out and I started walking around, riding the bus or whatever I was doing, it was like I was never gone. How long was that bus ride? Oh man, listen. That bus ride started early in the morning, like nine, 10 o'clock, and it was probably after midnight <laughs> when I got when I got <laughs> to Charlotte. And what's crazy is it's only from where I was, it's only like maybe a three, four hour ride, but because it was a Greyhound and all the stops, it took forever, it felt like. And it may not have been midnight, it may have been nine or ten o'clock, but it was late. The that was late compared to the time I started. The reason I asked, because I'm sure because it took a long time you actually got a chance to look around, taking the sights, taking the people. So what was it like for you to be able to do that after being incarcerated for seven years? It was exciting. It was like the most exciting thing ever. And I loved every moment of it. Getting to look at the women, you know, getting to listen to the conversations, getting to see, you know, I would say like getting to see how people dressed and things, how, how different it was. And even though it was different, it wasn't that different because it wasn't like I was like locked away from society as a whole. Like I still watched television and still had access to magazines. So I was kind of like every, my thinking evolved with the times and in spite of me being incarcerated, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. 
We never, I don't think we addressed it. What year did you go in? 1995, the summer of 95, they got me. Summer 95. So you came home 2002? Yeah, January 2002. Was it was it a big change with technology? Because I'm I'm feeling like it wasn't that much of a change with technology. Am I right or wrong? Uh, yeah, to me it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, because when I went in, we had cell phones. When I came out, we had smaller cell phones. And everybody had one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, computers where we still had computers, email, that sort of thing. So it wasn't to me. It wasn't like. A, big difference you know in that eight year span or whatever seven and a half it wasn't like a big big like change to the point where i was like in any type of uh shock like oh what's that (laughs) i didn't see anything i don't recall seeing anything and not being able to recognize what it was do you think it would have been harder if you had if you had done that time doing this technology age with social media and stuff like that Nah, I don't. And the reason I say that is because those guys have access to that stuff in there now. Okay. Okay. Do you, do you actually get a chance? Cause you've been home for a long time now. And mm-hmm. congratulations for that. Cause I mean, we, that's 20 years. Yeah. Thank you. Wow. 20 years. Do you actually get a chance to like talk to um like to young men, young women, anybody that may be in, in danger of being incarcerated? Absolutely, I do. Um, and I would actually like to like get a nonprofit going where I can kind of go into situations and speak to people who are incarcerated, like young people, and kind of, you know, help them out. I want to be what they call a <laughs> a reentry expert. Um, just kind of helping people to understand once they keep them from getting incarcerated, but if you have been incarcerated, I can help, you know, guide you or instruct you so that you can reenter society successfully and not have to worry about going back. You think that's the biggest challenge is people not being able to adjust? Probably. Yeah. I think that one of the biggest challenges is you think that it defines you. You think that, you know, I got this thing on my record and now everywhere I go, everybody's going to know or everybody's going to ask about it. I have to be honest. You know, they're going to hold it against me. They're not going to give me a job. That's that's the biggest fear. And it's the it's the mindset that a lot of people adopt, to be honest with you. But like when I came home, I, I my first job was at Food Run. And then I got a job at Bojangles. Like... Nothing spectacular, but because I was working two jobs, because I was dependable, people gave me other opportunities. I went to to the pest control company to work for them. And the guy, I, t- I explained the situation to the guy and the guy, he literally sat there and looked at me and he said, man, you work two jobs. <laughs> he said, you, you, you are obviously trying to do the right thing. So I, I got you, I'm gonna give you a job. Wow. Even though it's been 20 years, do you still feel that that, is held over you at times? Not at all. Okay. Not at all, bro. Wow. How long I mean, nobody you... even brings it up. Nobody even mentions it. It's like it never happened. Wow. 
how long do how long did it take for you to get to that point? You think? It was pretty quickly, man. Once I got the pest control job and I had a solid work history, you know, there were jobs that I would apply for, you know, and obviously they didn't hire me, but they didn't tell me what the reason was. And I didn't really necessarily attribute it to that. But then there were lots of jobs where they would still employ me. Like one of the things that people don't realize too is like a lot of times they say, have you been convicted of a felony? in the past seven years. Well, if you're telling the truth and, and it's been past seven years, then no, I haven't. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And if the answer is yes, then you, you, you can say yes. And then you'll say, I'll explain that in an interview. Cause I'm not going to write it down on paper and let you just do that. If you're curious about it, if you really want to know, then we can sit down and talk about it. And maybe that, maybe in that moment I can sell myself and, and get past that interview. And I've done that many times. Okay. Let's transition back to something we started out with. You said mm-hmm. you were a relationship coach. That's not words. Yes. You are. You are a relationship coach. I am a relationship coach, yeah. Now, how did you get into that? So when I start, once I started the podcast, which is a relationship podcast, right? Uh, I started getting a lot of people hit my inbox, a lot of women in particular, asking for advice. I had a few guys, young men, asking for relationship advice and asking, you know, well, you know, what about this? I think one of the first, one of the first messages I got was this guy, and he was talking about how he had done done something, you know, cheated on his girl or whatever, and he was like, he didn't know what to do. She was willing to, you know, give him another chance, but it was hard because she didn't trust him and she was giving him a hard time. And I told him, I said, man, I'm gonna be honest with you, you know. It's an uphill battle from here. So you either have to deal with that or you got to get out of it. Like there's no other, <laughs> there's nothing else that I can tell you. You got to either deal with it and try to win her trust back or you got to go. And, you know, we talked back and forth for a while. He was in the United Kingdom, bro. I'll never forget that. And we went back and forth about it uh, a little bit. And he came back later on and he said, man, he was like, that was the best advice you could have given me, man. I had to get the hell out of there. <laughs> and you know <laughs> and I just because I was letting him know like man you know it's hard once you once you damage the trust it's it's so hard and if you're willing to do the work and if you're willing to deal with everything that comes with that yes you can get to a better place but it's going to take a long time but if you're not then just go man mm. so anyway the way to answer your question, the way that ended up happening is I had a lot of people coming to me for relationship tips and advice. And so I said, hey, maybe I could be a decent relationship coach. And so I went in and took a course and now I, I do it. I, you know, people pay me to do it. There's actually a course for that? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> there is. Damn. Now, <laughs> I'm going to say something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like I feel like you're probably one of the only ones who actually took the course. <laughs> you might be right. Well, so <laughs> I don't know. I think because a lot of people say, you know, I'm a certified dating and relationship coach. So in order to say I'm certified, you do have to take some sort of course to get a certification. So But that's the thing. Nobody how do we check your credentials? 
Well, if someone were to ask, you just show them your certificate. Hmm. How long is you the can show them your certificate? You could potentially show them your test score, you know, stuff How like that. How long was the course? The one I took was uh, six weeks. I got to know. Because again, I know people not doing this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what does this course entail? Oh, man, it entails a lot, bro. Like, you know, there's a, it's like any other course, but there's an introduction, you know, and then there's, they, they talk about non-linguistic programming. They talk about uh, the difference between a coach and a therapist or a counselor, because coaches and counselors have two different, two very different scopes of practice. So as a coach, we don't give advice. We more so uh, ask a lot of questions and allow our clients to find their way by allowing them to realize what their hangups are, realize what they really want and realize how to get what they want. You know what I mean? So I never uh, inject my opinion. I'm not judgmental and I don't give advice because that's not what I do. I will add, and I don't really ask a lot about your past unless it's directly connected to what we're talking about. So it's very different. So you, you learn those things and you learn how to be professional. You, you, they teach you or they inform you about how clients will sometimes project their desires onto you. And so therefore you have to be careful not to get involved with your clients because sometimes they'll feel this connection and want to be involved. Um, they, they teach about couples counseling, well, not counseling, couples coaching and all the pitfalls that are there and how to avoid those things and how to not be, uh, the biggest thing is not being, uh, not showing favoritism, you know what I'm saying? Not being partial and being a respect of persons. You can't do that. You have to be neutral. And I think, I think that one of the things that really made me want to do that too is because I have gone to relationship counselors and I think I've had, I've been involved or been to like two or three different counselors on two or three separate occasions. And they always chose a side. They always had a favorite, you know what I'm saying? And I just didn't understand that. Like, man, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. Why, you know, I'm sitting here telling you what happened. She's agreeing that that's what happened. And you're still saying she was right. Like, come on, man. (laughs) So, yeah. So let me ask you, what made you actually go get the credentials? Because look, man, there's 2.6 million relationship coaches on social media. Probably. Mm -hmm. Okay. What made you say, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and get your credentials. Well, so I knew that I had, that there was a market or, um, it was clientele for me because I was already basically doing it. Right. But I didn't want to just be out here doing it and not being able to say that I got the credentials because my, my thing is I come from a time where, you know, you can't just throw a title on your name and go out there and, and tell people, this is what I do. Somebody's going to pull your card. Somebody's going to want to see it. Somebody's going to want to know. And so my whole thing was, yeah, I'm not going to get out here and lie and say, oh, I'm a relationship coach. Because I I, I personally wouldn't respect a relationship coach that doesn't have the credentials. I need the credentials. Man. I want to see it. 
I want to see that you at least made an effort to go and learn something before you come over here trying to charge me to tell me something. Now, you've been open and honest about being married three times. Do you think mm -hmm. that helps or hurts you as a coach? It definitely helps. I think that some people thought or probably would think that it would hurt because it's kind of like, well, damn, man, you suck at relationships, obviously. So how are you a relationship coach? <laughs> the truth is, I know, I definitely know what not to do, okay. right? But one of the things, too, is I never had a problem getting women. And for the most part, I, okay, I never had a problem getting women. I had a problem keeping them. But the only reason I had a problem keeping them was because I didn't do what needs to be done, the things that need to be done to promote a successful relationship or to maintain a successful relationship. So I definitely know what not to do. And if you know what not to do, then you can also improve up on what you should do. And that's what gives me my superpower at this thing, I think. Because I can definitely, you know, help people understand what not to do. If, if a single man is you know, dating and he's looking for a, a specific type of woman or if he has challenges in dating, I'm going to be able to help him because I was very successful at getting women to date me. Um, and any man can get a woman to date him. You can get any woman to date you. You know what I'm saying? But the problem with a lot of guys, and I'm just going to say this real quick, is that they say they want this type of woman, but then they're taking or they're pursuing all these other types of women. If you only want a certain type of woman, you should only pursue those types of women. That's it. So, you know, I got a little bit of knowledge enough to, to help some people. And I've been seeing some progress with some of my clients. So it's been a big, it's been a big uh, adjustment for me. But like I said, it's, it's easier when you know what not to do. Imagine someone who got married young, has been married 30 years, but they've only, they only know what it's like to be in that one marriage with that one person and the challenges they face there. They don't really have a large scope they don't really have a lot that they can, you know, draw from to help other people. What would you say is a big thing not to do? In relationships or marriage? Uh, hell, both. Or you pick it. Um, <laughs> a big thing not to do. Well, the obvious stuff is like, oh, don't cheat, don't this or that. But a big thing not to do is not to complain, not to, not to criticize. You know what I'm saying? Not to argue. Like, those things aren't... People are so used to seeing that and so used to doing that that they think that's a part of being in a relationship. It is not. It is the, those are the worst things you could possibly do in any relationship because they, cre they, create, they create irrevocable damage. They do irrevocable damage. Even though you don't see it at the moment and even though you don't... Uh, you know, because people heal. We're resilient. But those scars, like if, if you get cut, your skin will heal, but there'll always be a bruise there. You know what I'm saying? There'll always be a mark there. So when you, you know, criticize someone and when you belittle them and when you talk down to them and when you argue and say cruel things, that stuff never really goes away. Do you think there's too many people giving relationship advice? So that's like a, a two-part, not a two-part answer, but I don't think there's a such thing as too many people giving relationship advice, but I think there is a such thing as too many unqualified people giving relationship advice. And I would say that there are definitely too many unqualified people giving relationship advice. Okay. 
I know. Has anybody ever challenged you on the fact that you've been married three times? Like, what makes you think you qualified to do it? Not really. I've had some friends um, kind of laugh at me and joke about it. Like, man, come on, bro. Like, you, you was the hoe, man. Like, you know, you was the player. You did this. You did that. You gonna be giving relationship advice? And you know, we laughed about it. They laughed at me, gave me a hard time. But at the end of the day, they know that I have. Uh, a wealth of knowledge when it comes to dating and relationships. And so even though they gave me a hard time, they understand they're like, nah, man, seriously, bro. Like, if you're going to do it, like I had one of my partners, this is what he said. He said, if you're going to do it, man, he was like, educate yourself, man. Find out everything that you need to know. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, he encouraged that, but I was already doing that. But I appreciated him at least, you know, coming back and saying, hey, man, if you're going to do it, like really take it seriously. What do you plan on taking the Cognac Room podcast? Because it's, 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 it's a great podcast and, and, and it's, you put out some great information, some great stuff, um, very well produced. Because I actually watched it. You one of the few I actually watched. I watched it on YouTube. It was very well done. Um, what I are your plans? That, Definitely. What are your plans moving forward with it? I'm I'm going, I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. Um, I definitely want to incorporate some, some different aspects to it. I want to do a little bit more um, like advertising for other things. Um, I want to turn it into, so the, at this point, the Cognac Room podcast is a relationship podcast and it was a catalyst for this relationship coaching thing. We have some other things down the pipe, like speed dating and different things like that. But I just, I really don't know what else I want to do with the podcast besides keep going in the direction that we're going in and adding different limbs and legs to it. I want to get you out of here with this question. You, you went into prison in 19, you got out at 26. From that time, during that time, I'm sure you visualized getting out and where you wanted your life to go. How do you feel about where life is taking you? <laughs> I'm right on course, man. I'm right where I'm supposed to be, according to the plans that I had. Now, some plans did change, but I'm, I'm right on time, man. Like, I'm living the life that I wanted to live, bro. Like, literally, I'm helping people, which is something I wanted to do, which, you know, I'm, I feel like I'm giving back to the community in a lot of ways. I'm pursuing my passions. I, I travel. I do, I mean, I live the life I want to live. You know what I mean? The life I dream, dreamt about living. And um, just real quick, man, I started an episode, I mean, a podcast, I'm sorry. I started a podcast called Mind Your Motivation where I kind of talk about that. I talk about my journey and I talk about how I saw and I visualized everything that I wanted to do and I manifested it. And that's what's happening in my life now. So it's definitely been a journey and I, I'm grateful for every moment of it. I want to take the, t I want to thank you for taking the time to do this. Um, this is the first time that we've actually had a chance to talk and I could say, man, it's truly been a pleasure. And I also want to say, man, congratulations for, 
um, come, not only coming home, but coming home and making a difference because a lot of people could come home, but unfortunately their life just stays stagnant. So one, I congratulate you for coming home and then two, coming home and actually making a difference. Hey, I appreciate that, bro. Before we end this, please tell the people how they can follow you um, on social media and, and also listen to the podcast. All right. So um, on social media at the Cognac Room podcast, um, the other podcast is Mind Your Motivation. Um, let's see. That's on Instagram. On Facebook, it's the Cognac Room podcast. And on Twitter, it's the Cognac Room and if you want to listen to the podcast, we are on Apple, Spotify, Google, iHeart, all of the major platforms. We have a YouTube channel as well. And what else? Is there something else? Yeah, I think that's it. <laughs> Again, man, thank you for um, taking the time to do this. And I wish you all the best moving forward. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me. Definitely. I want to take the time to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. I truly appreciate your support. You can follow me on Instagram at conversations underscore with underscore Lant. My Facebook is also conversations with Lant. You can listen to the podcast on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts. Again, thank you all for listening. Have a great day.